Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 25 of Yoga Land. So this week, I am going back to the Q&A format with my husband, Jason Crandall. We had so much fun doing it a couple of episodes ago, and we still had more questions to answer. So last time we focused on anatomy questions. This time we are focusing more on, I guess you'd say, call them yoga lifestyle or opinion questions. And Jason always likes to say he has lots of opinions. And listening back to the episode, I realize I do too. I offer a lot of my opinions as well. So we answered things like, what does it mean to be a student these days? What do you think of yoga hybrids? Plus Jason shares a funny teaching story and we share a little bit about how our work relationship and our personal relationship works together, how we kind of balance it and make it work. I wanna take a moment to thank those of you who took more than a moment to leave a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes. It's so great to get the feedback and I appreciate it so, so much. And I got 10 reviews after Jason's episode. So that also let me know that you like this format, which is really helpful to know when I'm planning the programming. So thank you to Fun Fly Gal, Charlie Z123, CR Brenica, Mira Valeria, love you, Mira, Verano Amor, TLC Rec WV, Sarah McConkie, Sam McGraw, Yoga Val 24, and I think I'm just always gonna end these hopefully on a food handle. James Pepper Salt Cheese. That's a really good one. Okay, everyone, enjoy the episode. Hi there. Hello. How are you? Hanging in there. <laughs> it's been a long month. Yeah. Um, so we're going to look at another batch of questions that re- we received from listeners. Okay. Um, last time we did a Q&A with you, we focused on anatomy-based questions. Yep. And if you all listening are into anatomy, you can go back and listen to that one. Today, we're going to focus on the non-anatomy questions. So I'm just going to jump right in. Jump in. Okay. Shannon S. Hi, Shannon six. S. Six. <laughs> and the other five. I would love to hear your views on what it means to be a yoga student today. Or what is the difference between a student of yoga and a yoga consumer? How might yoga teachers navigate these differences mindfully? A good question. I don't think that yoga teachers should put themselves in a position to try to make any distinction as to who is in class and why are they are in class and whether or not they're a yoga student, whether or not they're a yoga consumer, whether or not they're any point of those distinctions that Shannon brought up. I think as a yoga teacher that you should teach who's ever in the room And I think that you should teach them yoga. I think that you should teach them this tradition in a modern and accessible way. I think that you should teach them the physical, the mental, the practical, if it's your karma, the spiritual layers of what this tradition and what this discipline are without trying to untangle or interpret or think that there's even some way of knowing why the students are in the room and what they want. I think for so many teachers, we think we know what our students want, but I don't know that we always know what we want, you know? So taking the weather of the room and trying to decide why someone's in the room and what we think that they want, 
I think in the end is going to be ill-fated. And so we just want to teach good yoga to whoever's in the room. Do you, do you want to take a crack at sort of untangling that? No. Well, maybe. I mean, I think that's a great answer, um, especially for part two of her question. I was pretty intrigued by part one of her question, which is I, I'd love to hear your views on what it means to be a yoga student today. Because I'm wondering if she's, I don't know for sure, he or she, Shannon could be a he could as well. But I'm wondering if this person is comparing what it meant to be a student, you know, 10 years ago versus what it means today. Yeah. Okay. All right. You know. So I, I guess I can give a little bit of perspective on it. Okay. And I hope this isn't too cynical, but you know, like every generation thinks the next generation is sort of pathetic. You know what I mean? Like yes. this is just a generational thing. You know, like every generation thinks the next generation has it easier and they're not as committed. And people and get nostalgic too. They get nostalgic, right? So I don't want to do that. I don't think that that's fair. I don't think that that's necessarily accurate. I think that one of the things that comes up for me in trying to answer this question, you know, the big questions like this, they're hard to answer. So I can only take it and sort of little chunks, things that come up. One of the things that comes up for me is right now it's practicing yoga is more accessible than it has ever been, which means because it's not as hard to search out, it is going to get some more casual interest consumers, mm -hmm. right? Maybe back in the day when yoga was harder to find, it wasn't at every gym, there wasn't countless yoga studios, you had to have a specific personality and you had to be really looking for a specific thing that you felt like yoga offered. And I think that probably the the further back we go, the more the impetus to go to yoga was probably oriented around studying the discipline, mm -hmm. studying the tradition, looking for the spiritual dimensions, looking for the existential dimensions. People, I think, probably in some ways had to be more overtly seeking and to use more of a sort of traditional word, they had to be aspirants. Mm -hmm. Like they, they had to track down. They had to do a little bit more forensics. They had to do. They had to work a little bit harder to. To I don't want to say work harder. Can I? Can I interject one yeah, thing? Because we've talked. We talked about this just the other day. Sharon Salzberg talks about how you know she's been teaching meditation for. 30 years, 40 years, I can't remember, a long time. And when she's at dinner parties now and she says she teaches meditation, she gets a very, very different response from totally. people than when she, she did when she was first starting out. And what she said was, when I first started meditating that many decades ago, you know, if you were a person who was seeking meditation, and I think even seeking yoga, you had to be suffering to some extent. You had you, you, for sure. You, you know, you you had to be looking for something. I mean, arguably we still are. It's just more overt. Or you mean the yoga's more? Yeah, no, I what I mean is the seeking to to calm your suffering through this discipline maybe used to have to be more overt. You had to look harder. And you had to be willing to be probably at least to some degree part of a subculture. Yeah. Yeah, right? it was a subculture. And there's and yeah. there's and there are both unique opportunities to being part of a subculture and there's also unique demands to being part of a subculture. 
I don't think necessarily the modern yoga student is necessarily suffering any less. No, 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 no. But but in terms of the the search was harder. There's no doubt. And so in some ways, this is going to sound, maybe hopefully it won't sound terrible. So in some ways, the baseline yoga student at one time was more vetted in their interests. They had to look harder in order to find the culture and the community and the studio. And so in some ways they were, I don't want to say maybe taking a greater risk, but yeah, I, I feel like I'm sort of talking myself into the weeds here. <laughs> Into different holes. I mean, I guess my point in bringing that up was only to make the point that I don't think any one human suffers more than another and therefore they are more worthy of taking yoga or being a yoga right, student right, right, or anything right. like that. I didn't that. want that's, to set that up. That's not I what I was I saying, no. But I do think that because yoga is so much more available now and it's so much easier to find, you might start it because, say, you're, you've been running a lot and your knee hurts. Sure. Or you might start it because... You want to lose weight. You want to lose weight. Or you want to sleep better. Or your friend and thinks... And those are all legitimate reasons Or your to friend thinks you're really stressed out. Yeah. Or whatever. And so, and yeah, and I think that that's great. I think that's what we want. We actually want, you know, we want like a high quality yoga teaching to be available to as many people as possible. So, so my comparison is just that it, it just is that I think it, because it was harder to find or people didn't know about it as much, the people who tended to find it, and I'm using myself as an example, you know, tended to be looking for something because they were like suffering in some way. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, Fair enough. um, I, I, I'm going to say one more thing, which is I feel like there might be a subtext to this question. I could be wrong, but I get questions like this, which is, I think a question that's being raised is, are we as modern yoga students still really doing yoga if we are doing it in a more casual and somewhat piecemeal way? You know, and I go back and forth with that, with the answer to that question in, in my own personal self-reflection about my practice. Like, I know that I'm a cherry picker. I know there's ways in which I'm a traditionalist. I know there's a ways in which I'm a modernist. I know that there's aspects of the yoga discipline that I take on and I resonate. And I know that there's aspects of the yoga tradition that I don't even try. Hmm. You know, like I don't even try. You know, and to be fair, like Brahmacharyan, I am a householder. We have a child. I'm not a Brahmacharyan. And I'm not going to give a modern spin and say, oh, well, brahmacharya really means, no, it doesn't really mean. Brahmacharya means abstinence from sex, hmm. period. So, right. So I know that I'm not going to cherry pick my interpretation. I'm going to own and say that there are aspects of the yoga tradition that I take on and there are aspects of the yoga tradition that I do not take on. Mm-hmm. I think that I am still a legitimate student of yoga, and I think I'm still a legitimate teacher of yoga. And yet I can, I can see when and where and how I have bent some of the underlying precepts of what this discipline is, and I have to be intellectually honest with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so, so do I think that I'm a legit modern yoga student? Yeah. Do I think that if you're a householder, 
and you come and go and you have a you have a family and some weeks you're taking this practice as a serious discipline other weeks you're using it just as basic maintenance and you're taking apart bits and pieces that suit your needs at that time i still think that that is a legitimate student and i also understand being a student of diff- of disciplines changes with the era Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It changes with the era. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not really in a situation where the, where the majority of practitioners are setting themselves up to simply be ascetic spiritual seekers for the rest of their lives. Right. So, so this is just something that we have to take with the with the modern changing era. Yeah, and I think just to go back to the the last part of her question, how might yoga teachers navigate these differences mindfully? Don't navigate the difference. Well, I was going to kind of elaborate on what you said on that, which is not just don't navigate the difference, but just meet your students where they are. Yeah, don't judge it. Yeah. I mean, I, I cannot begin. The moment, the moment as not just a yoga teacher, but a person in this world, I start to think that I know what is motivating someone, I'm wrong. People's motivations are just layered, they're complex, they're nuanced. It's not my position to judge. Mm-hmm. It's not my position to judge. And, and to be honest, it's like there are ways in which I'm judgmental. There are ways in which I'm not judgmental. But I'm going to say it now. I don't care why you came to my class, period. You're in my class. It's my job to teach you this discipline, not try to make some you know, value interpretation of why. If you want to be here because you want to lose weight or if you want to be here because you want flexible hamstrings or you want to be here because you're interested in the Vedas, I don't care. I care that you're in the room, period. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just want to talk about the squeaky elephant in the room. (laughs) (laughs) We have a crazy life right now and we are not staying in our home. I'll just leave it at that. And you know, someday when this podcast has billions of listeners, we'll have our own studio. If we have billions of listeners, does that mean we'll have trezillions of income? <laughs> yeah, <I don't. laughs> you know, so far, no. So far, that will not change. But uh, yes, we're not in a studio. So you are hearing the beautiful sounds of a child swinging on a rusty old <laughs> swing across the street from our current If this podcast house. goes big, we got to... In we the city, to, um, city living. We have to get some WD. We have to purchase some WD forty for that swing. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> to invest in that park. For Anyways, God's sake. Next question. Next question. This comes from Janie Eleven. Hi, Janie Eleven. Great podcast. Thank you, Janie. Thank you so much for listening. I'd be interested in more cooking nutrition, and that is duly noted. I'm working on some more um, nutrition podcasts, so not not for this time because that's not. Yeah, Jason's not a nutritionist, but um, this part you will be able to answer. Funny stories about teaching, being a student, or yoga trends. The good, bad, and ugly, and ways to bring more of philosophy and meditation into busy modern lives. Let's let's just focus on the funny stories. Funny stories. Oh my gosh. So I've done this for a long time, so there's been weird things that have happened. I mean, am I, are we all in on this? Yeah. Oh man. Are you going to... The New Year's story? No. The New Year's story could be a story. Uh, Shanghai could be a story. Yeah. Why don't you 
as briefly as you can sum 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 up Shanghai. It's starting from the night before you were supposed to get on the airplane and you logged into united.com to check in. Okay, so I had been going back and forth to Hong Kong many times. And when you go to Hong Kong as an American, you can use a, a, a visitor's visa, right? And the conference that I taught at sort of back and forth many times in Hong Kong, they processed all the work visas, blah, blah, blah. I made a major error. And not only did I make a major error, but I almost had an international relations master's degree because that was my point of study well before this. So I actually know about visas. But I went to log in, and I, in order to get on the airplane, I needed to get a visa to visit mainland China because mainland China, Shanghai is in mainland China. It is not part of the special governmental districts of the island of Hong Kong. Anyways, long story <laughs> short, I was only going there for three days. I was going there to teach a conference, a conference that I knew almost nothing about, and I, in extremely quick turnaround, had to expedite a visa to get to Shanghai. So long story short, I had to cancel a class. I, I didn't actually have to cancel a class. I had to flip a class with the one and only I, Bo Forbes. Oh my gosh, who's going to be on the podcast, I think, after this episode. So wait, wait, Bo, wait, 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 wait. Let me just interject for a moment. Jason went to log in for his flight to Shanghai the night before. He <laughs> saw that he needed a visa number. It dawned on him that he never got a visa. He went apoplectic. Like he had the I, I actually remember heart attack. I mean, I have I never... remember the exact thing I said to you. What? I took a moment <laughs> and I looked over at you and I said, I am going to need your help to not lose my effing mind. <laughs> I did not censor at that point. I just made a major, it was major just, mistake. And you just it felt was so guilty. Well, because I have this very, too, I have this, I have a Midwesterner's work ethic. <laughs> and and as much, as much work, like yeah. guilt as you could yeah. y- throw. I mean, I don't think you were actually in the fetal position, but that was like the vibe. It was horrible. For 24 hours or so. Like, I think fetal if at this point it would happen, I honestly think if this point it happened, I'd be like, well, I'm not <laughs> going to Shanghai. <laughs> cool. I'm going to stay home with you and Sophia. This is awesome. Well, that's pretty much but what no. happens when you go through four days of labor with your wife. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So anyways, we're getting lost here. So anyways, so I had to flip days with Bo Forbes. Yeah. Bo and I will be forever bonded yes. through this experience. So anyways, very long story short, very long story still sort of sort of long. I get to Shanghai. I arrive at 9, like almost 10 p.m. Long flight, 14 hours. I arrive. I'm picked up at immigration. And the assistant to my host hands me a telephone and says, you know, this is the host. I I won't say the host's name. This is the host. And I say, okay. So I, I, I get on the phone with the host. And the host says, you know, you're at the airport. You're in Pudong. It's going to take you 45 minutes, which means you'll be here at 10.45 p.m. So we'll start your first class at 11. <laughs> and I literally, I, I this said. This was a yoga rave, folks. He had no idea. And I said, oh, you know, I didn't hear you right. It sounded like you need to, you want me to start teaching class at 11. Do you mean 11 tomorrow? And he says, no, you will teach at 11 tonight. 
in it's it's your three hour class. You're gonna teach from eleven p.m. to two a.m. <laughs> and the flight's we're, like fifteen hours. Yeah, fourteen. Right? Yeah. And he said, "We're all waiting for you." So I literally hung up. I just hung up the phone. I handed it back to the woman, and I said, "You know, so and so." I could not. I could not hear him. I think he's misunderstanding. <laughs> I think he thinks that I'm going to teach a class at 11 p.m. tonight. <laughs> so I get there. It's 11 p.m. He's right with the timing. It's 11 p.m. The company that was hosting it gave me a ton of their clothing and said, okay, you have to put this on You now. had like a really cool tracksuit, right? I had a sweet tracksuit. What color was it? It was black. Did Bo have a matching tracksuit? I don't know. I think she did. I remember from the pictures. Did we really have? Okay. Yes. Everyone was wearing tracksuits. All right. So... Oh my God. So you wanted me to wrap this up. So I'm in, so we get there at 11. I'm told that I have to wear these particular clothes and that I will be teaching. And that after the class tonight, not only is it end at, t- at 2 a.m., but that I will be interviewed by CCTV. So the state run governmental media organization at 2 a.m. So this is like this at this point in all sincerity is like this hallucinogenic experience. (laughs) I walk in the room and it is the biggest room I've ever taught in. It's probably still to this. Now I've done bigger things outside, but it would, there were 400 people. There was a giant stage like Metallica could have played on the stage. I mean, it was huge. And I was being projected on the wall directly across from me. So it was a so it was a closed circuit TV film projector of me teaching on Ac- the wall right across from across from me. a couple days continue and well I'll say this the next day what I'm told is that the event is actually an event for this this Chinese company called Leaning they're huge they're bigger than Nike they're they're sort of the mainland China's primary athletic apparel brand and that the conference in addition to being a yoga conference is going to be the opportunity for me and two other people to select who's going to be their models for the year. So, which I had no idea what I had no idea, literally no idea. So myself, Bo, this, this teacher from uh, Beijing named Robin Wexler and another person or two, we were, it was under this ruse. So they had, so all of the people there, all 400 people there had the opportunity to be selected by us and they had to do all these performances. So every day, all day long, it was like these 10 hour days of performances. And were they like yoga performances? Or yes. Dances? They were, they were very, uh, yeah, we're going to call them yoga performances. Wow. It was a very trippy different experience. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to leave it at that. We're going to move on. It It was was intense. Vegan Bunny, who is <laughs> oh my gosh, Vegan Bunny is like totally Vegan Bunny is a, our it's pal. A, it's a great email. I, I, I have All right. Vegan Bunny and I have a connection. She asks, 
I'd love to hear an episode about how to deal, live in the yoga community where there's so much materialism and inconsistency and fakeness. I know it's something that's everywhere, but would love to hear your take because I admire your no-nonsense approach. And this question was seconded <laughs> by another um, consistent listener, Aaron. Thanks for thanks for seconding the question, Aaron, and sorry about the car alarm. But this one's regular because that motorcycle always goes by. Yeah. And it always gets the car alarm yeah. triggered. And so Aaron adds to the question. I hope the alarm hasn't distracted no, you too go much. For but it. the Aaron adds to the question, you know, yoga classes have more morphed so much in just the last seven years that I've been teaching. I'm wondering what you think will be important in the next decade. So let me go back to that question. Yeah. And I just, I, this is going to be a really simple answer, like an, an impossible answer, but it's the only answer, which is try not to pay it attention. Don't let it get to you. You can't do anything about it. Mm. You know, I mean, it's, it's sort of almost going back to the first question, right? Mm -hmm. Which is like, as a practitioner, we, and as a teacher, we have to use our own restraints mm. to not become embroiled in how other people are doing this discipline, why other people are doing this discipline, how people are presenting themselves in social media. You know what I mean? Like I just, there are countless things about the modern yoga world that I don't love and I, I, and I'm not trying to change them. I'm just, I'm just trying to represent in my own practice and in my own teaching, good, honest, straightforward stuff. And all I can do is provide an alternative. Like, I don't think that I can change other people's behavior. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I can, you know, change some of the, as she brought up, like the materialist things or I don't, I don't think that I can change those. So I try not to become involved in them. Mm -hmm. And I try to do my best to operate on my own island as a practitioner and teacher and teach what I care about in the way that I care about things and not become overly involved with the aspects of this world of this yoga world that I, I don't as much resonate with. And I'll, I'll say one more thing, which is simple, which is one of the ways I don't pay attention to it is I don't, in, I don't engage with it in social media. Like I just, I don't, I'll say, I've said it so many times with all due respect, like I, nothing interests me less than looking at a person doing a yoga pose in a photo on Instagram. Like I just genuinely don't care. So the things that interest me, like I know where my buttons are. And so I just try to not pay attention to the aspects of this culture that I don't resonate with and, and especially through social media. Cause that is the place I think where it's for so many people, it's the trigger. Yeah. I think just to add to what you're saying, and I, I mean, I'm speaking for you a little bit, but I think another way of saying it is you, you know, you don't have to resonate with everyone in your community and you can still be a community Totally. because like when I think about organizational psychology, you know, any, any organization has dynamics and has differences of opinion. This is the day after the election that we're uh, doing this podcast. Uh, so we're, we're all ex viscerally experiencing it in, in the United States right now. Um, 
but that's just the way it is when you have groups of people and communities, there are differences. And so it's really natural to not resonate with, with everyone and with and every opinion and focusing on your own um, purpose is one way of dealing with it. Actively trying to accept other people's differences is yeah, another yeah. way of dealing with it. Also, like you said, just adding to the piece of not engaging only through through social media, although I'm, I'm sure that's not what you're suggesting, Vegan Bunny. But I think uh, really intentionally connecting with the people you do resonate with in your community is yeah. equally important. Totally. So. The, o- the only layer I want to add on to this, which is, and, and you just got to it, which is, let's not be a perfectionist about our community or our culture yeah. or... You know, I loved skateboarding for a long, long, long period of time. And I identified with skateboarding and the community and and it shaped me in a lot of ways, actually, more skateboarding and, and independent music, punk rock in a lot of ways to this day have actually shaped and formed my identity more than anything else, including yoga. And... I didn't love every aspect about it. I didn't love every aspect about punk rock. I didn't love every aspect about the activist communities that I was part of. I didn't love every aspect about the skateboarding community. And in all of those communities, there were things I loved about it. And there were things that didn't suit me. So we have to be discerning and take in and appreciate the things that we do resonate with. And it's okay to be critical. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, it's really important that we have critical thinking skills. And it's really important that we are able to voice our critical thinking skills. And it's really important to be able to, to be critical of our own milieu and to have respectful disagreements with colleagues and to not sort of put so much of a desired like, oh man, I am looking for this perfect thing that a thousand percent represents me. And we just can't expect that. We just yeah. can't expect that. That's that's not fair to the broad base. Like, I, uh, again, last thing, it goes all the way back to that first answer, which is we have a massive population that does yoga now, mm-hmm. which means we have to take into account that massive population. And that's it. Yeah. Okay. So Aaron added on to this question. I'm, I'm going to read the next question and I can't even read this person's Instagram name. It's like TL Crack. <laughs> so TL? That's, that's the best I can TL-K. do. TLK. So no, it's TL Crack. Okay. TL Crack. <laughs> uh, so he asked, um, I would like to know what you think about all the thousands of YouTube vis- videos that say they're yoga, but have names like Yoga Hit. Pio and the like, I guess I'm a purist. And the reason I'm bringing this one up is because Aaron, I think this dovetails tells well with Aaron's question, which is yoga classes have morphed so much in just the last seven years that I've been teaching. I'm wondering, I'm wondering what you think will be important in the next decade. Okay. So I, what do I think about it? <laughs> I mean, I'm not into it. Yeah. I'm not into it. I'm not into it. And I think as much as yoga is a huge community and and it should be a big tent and it's modernized in ways, all disciplines, all faiths, all belief systems still actually have some common denominators 
that if they don't have those combinators, common denominators, they actually aren't that thing. Like I could call the Prius that I drive my Ferrari, but it is not a Ferrari. You know what I mean? Like it's just not a Ferrari. I can call it whatever the hell I want to call it. Mm -hmm. I could even go like buy a Ferrari badge and slap it over the Prius badge, but it's not a Ferrari. Yeah. So I think that we have to have a pretty high level of discernment and we have to more and more be able to see through the white noise and the clutter and the mirage and say, okay, is this actually yoga? Like, does this actually represent and does this maintain certain agreed upon values and definitions? Or is this just really using modern yoga asanas in a different well, as fitness. As fitness. Which, and, I mean, I think I if no people, yeah, exactly. I think I if love it's fitness. under the umbrella of fitness, totally. then it's, I agree. I totally. mean, it's like you can, you know, people get bored with their workouts. They want to do new things. They want to put things together. You you learn from different modalities. Yeah. That's cool. But. So I wouldn't have a difficult time saying, yeah, that's not yoga. Mm-hmm. Because I, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that I don't think it would be valuable. You know, that doesn't mean that I don't think people would derive benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Even Look, even within various schools of yoga, there are various schools of yoga that I don't personally or intellectually resonate with, but I understand that they're incredibly valuable for the people that they're valuable for. Mm-hmm. So the longer I've been involved with this, and one of the common themes that I feel I'm, is coming up in the questions and my answers, which is just... Try not to overly involve yourself with what someone else is doing and how someone else is interpreting what yoga is. I think that you can, as a practitioner and teacher, just stay focused on what this discipline is to you. Just stay focused on what it is to you. And then you can also say to yourself, you know, this is yoga. It's modernizing. It's open to in. It's open to interpretation. But if there aren't some basic con- common denominators, then I don't think that we have to say that something is yoga or not. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we don't have to get in conflict with it. There's no point in getting in conflict with it. I'll say one more thing along these lines because it's like, what what do we have to know? The the question of what how do we have to adapt or what do we think is going to be important? Yeah, a couple of things. One. I sort of, this is also, I think there's ways in which I'm private. There's ways in which I'm commercial, not ways in which I'm commercial. There's ways in which I'm private and talking about the commercial side of yoga is not the most comfortable thing for me. But one of the things that I've been feeling more comfortable with saying lately is look at me, not just me, but look at me like I'm as commercially successful right now as any other teacher is. And I teach pretty straightforward yoga. I teach pretty simple, accessible, straightforward yoga. The essence of how I teach, the pace of how I teach, the poses that I include in my teaching syllabus, they haven't really changed. I haven't really tried to change them. And I sort of feel like as a yoga teacher, if you you stick to your principles, if you stick to your focus, if you stick to your belief system and you execute it really well without getting swept up in the masses you will stand out. Mm. And I feel like at some point, maybe this point has already begun, 
I feel like there's going to be a little bit of a consumer backlash where people aren't looking for the newest, trendiest thing or the most impossible pose, but where people really are circling back and just wanting really good, solid, straightforward yoga teaching that improves the quality of their lives. Yeah. You know, I I don't think that as teachers, we need to figure out like, oh, okay, how do I change this? What's next? I don't think it works that way. Mm -hmm. I -hmm. think that if I tried to do that, I would fail miserably. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if I just keep doing what I do at the pace, and to me, pace is the greatest example. Vinyasa yoga has gotten ridiculously fast. Like the baseline of flow yoga has gotten really fast. I've gotten slower. As I've gotten slower, I actually stand out compared to the whole fast movement. And that helps me be a point of a point of differentiation. Yeah. Last question. Yeah. This is from Kalamana Yoga. And she asks, I'd love to hear about how the two of you work together. That's you and me. How you create content together, how you find a balance between work and family time, et cetera. What was that word? Was that word? Balance. Ba- I'm unfamiliar with what. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Doesn't really compute. Yeah. Um, how we work together? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Andrea's the brain. <laughs> she does it all. She, I have an earpiece every time I teach and she, she feeds me a loop. And I feed you dinner. (laughs) God. Okay. So, um, how do we work together? I mean, here's what I'll say. I'll say a couple things. One, we were, okay. We've been working together for a long time. We've been working together for a really long time. We started working together before we became a couple. Yeah. We worked together for years before we became a couple. So I was one of Andrea's writers and she was my editor. So we had a long established friendship and we had a long established professional working relationship before we were a couple. Yeah. And so in some ways that's, that's always been a default position. Yeah. And then also, you know, there, both of us have a very similar worldview mm-hmm. and a very similar worldview on yoga mm-hmm. and we have a similar temperament, mm-hmm. Right. And we also have a set of skills that complement each other. Yeah. Like people will sometimes call me a writer and I am not a writer. You are now. I'm not. You are now. I am not. There are, I can write, but I am not a writer. I'm a teacher. Now in the same way, if you spent the next couple years teaching, you'd be a teacher. But what's, where is your happy place? In front of people or behind a computer? Behind the scenes of anything. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. So for me, that also really suits our personality types well. So I have incredible respect for your body of knowledge and your body of experience. And I'm also mature enough to realize that I have strengths and I also have weaknesses. And... I know I have so much respect for the editorial process and I know that you're a really good editor and you're also a really good um, sounding board. So I think it's a really, it's been a really natural process because again, it predates it and it's now going back. Our professional relationship is now going back 15 years, 16 years, Yeah, you know, so it's almost twice as long as Mm -hmm. our, as we've been married. I know. I mean, yeah. I mean, I would say 
Yes. I think you've always been one of my biggest supporters and fans work-wise. And that, so we have a very mutually respectful relationship in terms of our skill sets. And I remember a long time ago hearing someone, a psychologist say that, (laughs) you know, a marriage should be built on mutual admiration. Mm. And I think we, we are just very fortunate that we have that and that we, we've found, you know, that we found each other and that we do have these similarities. And then, like you said, these complementary skill sets. And I think on top of that, we both, you know, recognize that we are like individually flawed. And then I think we both work really, really hard to accept each other and to just like, I mean, not that we sweep things under the rug. I don't think we do, but like not to get bogged down in any kind of petty conflict or, yeah, you know, when you, when you work to, you know, we work together, we live together, we parent together, we negotiate, you know, traveling dates and all these drop-offs and all these different things. And so there is definitely room. There would be room if we were more aggressively conflictive people, but we're both like pretty conflict averse. So it's like, all right, let's just. I don't think that's what it comes down to. No, but it's like, we both just want to like make it work. Yes. You know, like we both just have this. And we both understand that we're both working really hard. We don't, we don't have any sense that one person is pulling more weight than the other person. No, I don't think you can do that in a marriage and have a successful marriage at all. Yeah, I agree. And then one more thing, which is, this is going to sound ridiculous. You may not like this. People may or may not like hearing this, but this idea of balance, I just. Oh, we could do a whole other episode. I think it's somewhat misguided. I think that what we have to un- have an understand of is our life arc and how balance nets out over time, it's sort of like markets or whatever. But I, th- I think from a day-to-day thing that I just know that this is a phase of our life where we are going to skew pretty heavily towards being busy because we're both in the prime of our career. I know that all careers have an arc and we're both in a prime of a career. We have a very young daughter. We run an, our own independent business. We don't have a salary. We don't have sick pay. We don't have vacation income. We don't have matching 401k, right? Soon we, we might not have health insurance. <laughs> but but the point I'm but I, but but the point I'm trying to make is that I don't want to dismiss the importance of balance and at the same time I For me, I feel like we have to look at the phenomenon of balance not on a daily basis, but we have to look at it within the broader context of a life arc. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm not trying to get, I mean, I'm a bit of a workaholic. Yeah. I want to, so I will admit that, I will admit that, but you know, I've gotten better. Yeah. Are you, are you done making your point? (laughs) (laughs) This is the answer. No, I will yeah. just say that I, I appreciate that. <laughs> and it's important to have one person in the relationship who shall remain nameless, who reminds who the other person yeah. that sometimes it's good to go on vacation and have there not be work days. That was a great vacation, by the way. We've had two really good ones recently. Yeah. Tahoe and... So, yes. Yeah. And I think that I... Not to, get, I, I not to get too personal, but I will I just agree. say that like when we went on the Tahoe vacation, we went with friends and kids. And I think on the second day, you looked at me and just said like, wow, 
thanks for setting this yes. all up and, yep. and making this happen. Um, so I think if you're the person in the relationship that tends toward overworking or tends toward overdoing or tends toward blurring the lines, be open to the other person's reminders. Um, and you have gotten much better about that. And it, it, because it does be open to the other person's reminders that it's time to take a break and it's yes. time to close the laptop and it's time to, you know, have some work free time. Yes. Yeah. All right. Agreed. Good talk. Good talk. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. I am going to put two funny blog posts that Jason wrote. Um, I'll put them on the show notes page, which you can find at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 25. He wrote these two funny pieces called Students Behaving Badly, part one and part two. So if you're a teacher, you'll probably recognize the, um, the, just the challenges and the issues that can come up in class. And he offers his true feedback on how to handle these situations. So go check it out. And until next time, enjoy your practice.